Hey everyone, it's the Lollygagging Podcast with Rick and Dave. And now here are your hosts, Rick and Dave. Hello everyone, uh, welcome uh, back to the Lollygagging Podcast with Rick and Dave. Uh, I am sitting here next to... John Wilkes Booth. Okay, I am going to sit a little farther away from you. Okay. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, my name's Rick. And my name is Dave. And together we are... Rick and Dave. Go figure. Wow. Well, wow. Now I understand the title. Okay. Anyway, so Rick, what 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 you been up to uh, this week? Oh, uh, I have been working on my pronunciation and improving my accent in French and Italian, which is a long, difficult process. But anyway, it was one of the reasons that today I wanted to talk to Dave, who's uh, studying linguistics, about uh, various technical terms that have come up whilst I've been trying to, you know, to gather as much information about the fixing my accent as possible. So uh, he's agreed to, to give us some technical explanations of the various things like IPA and porosity and all this other sort of crazy linguistic stuff. And, uh, and I just thought I'd let everybody know about the techniques that I've managed to find uh, for trying, trying to do accent improvement uh, or reduction, depending on your point of view, but we, we can talk about that. And, um, and yeah, I just wanted to spend a bit of time uh, and try and work through this for people that are interested in making themselves sound more native-like in their target language. Because one of the reasons I'm really focused on this is because apparently the primary reason why native speakers switch. Uh, so, for example, if you go to France and you're speaking to somebody in French and your accent is so heavily American that, you know, they just switch to English because it is one of the primary reasons for people switching, basically. So if you're a language learner, there's nothing more frustrating than when somebody switches to your native language when you're trying to practice your target language. And so accent reduction or improvement is is the way to sort of not stop it, but negate it a bit. Okay. So so do you, do you think... Have you had that happen to you? Um, no, because usually um, they, even before they hear me speak a word, they see that I'm wearing plaid shorts and sandals with black socks. And they automatically know I'm an American, so they they go into English right away, and there's no uh, no coming back from that. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I think early on I did have that, but I found that especially in, in most countries in Europe, when I would go somewhere, I would speak a little bit of the language, and they would be impressed that I was speaking it even badly. That they they were encouraging of of, of speaking more. So, but I found that a, as I got better at it, then I had better success at maintaining conversations in that language without switching back to English. But I I'm sure here and there uh, I've had people just kind of realize I was American or they just couldn't understand me and they would say just just say it in English so that, that has happened once or twice so I will I will admit to that yeah which we don't get you to admit to much but no no exactly okay, so, so one of the one of the things that I was reading about is there's a professor in Sweden uh, whose name escapes me at the moment but we can put links in the podcast show notes um, Ollie something uh, but anyway um, professor Ollie something uh, tells us that uh, one of the key things to learn in a new language is the porosity uh, and making sure you get that sounding comfortably um, even before you learn words and vocabulary so what exactly is that Dave well well prosody <laughs> uh, according to this Oli Kielin, I believe who is who you are referring to it's oh, a, oh, yes yes O-L-L-E, and then last name is K-J-E-L-L-I-N. 
yeah, that's not, he sounds familiar. Prosody is basically just it's the intonation uh, and rhythmic patterns, uh, uh, you know, for stress and intonation of a language. So it's it's you know where where you put the stress, where you put the emphasis, where you put intonation, whether you have rising tones or falling tones or pitch. I could say really, and and my pitch goes up, and then you'd answer really, and the pitch goes down. And generally in English, you know, intonation uh, and pitch follow certain patterns. So if you're asking a question, uh, generally your pitch goes up. Doesn't it, Rick? See how my pitch went up? And you, and you would say, yes, Dave, it did. Or you may be listing uh, um, you know, some items and, and you may say, oh, I need to get chicken, donuts, soup, and a muffler. And then, you know, as you're listing these things, the pitch of, of the list goes down at the end. So basically, prosody is just kind of what the language in question does to put stress and intonation on certain certain words and phrases and parts of a sentence. Right. So, so during my research, one of the other papers that I came across was uh, another professor uh, who who improved his French by basically mocking a French accent. So, uh, what he discovered was that when he was walking through the streets of Paris, he was speaking to one of his colleagues in English, and a, a, a load of kids followed along, trailing behind him. They were all French; they didn't speak English, and they were mocking the English. But but they were copying the indentation and the prosody, so they weren't actually using any words. They were, but they were, you know, you know, they were making the nonsense words follow the annotation and this rhythm of English. Then later, he was listening to Maurice Chevalier, who you may or may not know. But when he, but who was an actor back in the day, when when he speaks in English, his English is really, really heavy, heavily accented French, and to, to the point where other comedians have made made fun of Maurice Chevalier. So it's <laughs> when you make up these sort of words. He was saying that when he used that made up imitation and way of speaking, but actually used French words, <laughs> his French colleagues said his in French, they were asking him how he had managed to improve his French so much, like dramatically. Mm -hmm. So because he, he'd used the, because what he was doing before was his, and, and the way they sort of explain it is that you don't reduce your accent, right? You don't do, your, an accent reduction is not what you're trying to do. What you're trying to do is an accent improvement. You don't want, when you speak in English, Dave, you have an American accent. That is not true, mate. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> when a French person speaks in French, they have a French accent. But what you want to do when you learn the second language is you want to speak Go ahead and speak your native language with your normal native accent. But when you speak French, you want to speak it with a French accent. If you don't improve your French accent, then what happens is your native accent superimposes itself. You, you have to have an accent, right? When you speak a language, you need an accent. Oh, of course, right? yes. So if you don't gain one which is native-like, or, you you know, using their annotation, their, their stresses, their prosody then your your native language will superimpose its version on top of it because you, you have to have one. So you're going to get one whether you like it or not. And, and if you don't pick one, it's going to be chosen for you by your brain to just use the one that you're used to, which is, you know, your native language. So having said all that, uh, what the recommendation is, is to try and chorus, or some people call it shadowing, a native speaker um, for a fixed phrase, and they mean a lot. Mm. So one of the accent improvements that is recommended is, for example, you take one sentence of 
a native speaking, which is recorded, and I believe the professor uses Audacity, which is a free software program, but I've been using another free software program called Workbook Audio, which which lets you just select one sentence, mm-hmm. and it shows you the waveforms for the sentence, yeah. and you can just put it on repeat again and 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 you listen to it on repeat again and again and again and 20 or 30 times and then you try and say the sentence the exact same way as the native speaker again and again and again with the exact same stress again and again and on the words the exact same speed the same annotation the same pronunciation and you just keep doing this until it gives starts to give you an accent in that language interesting i i i have not heard of work, workbook audio but i'll i'll look into that i i work a lot with audacity so um and we'll include the link to download audacity in the show notes i i'm familiar with a, a number of sources that use waveforms there, there used to be a number of language learning tools that would have you speak and it would compare your waveform with the, the actual audio being presented. And I believe, I believe, I believe uh, Utalk does that. I think they do that with uh, some of their um, learning aids. They have, you know, learning vocabulary, but then also practicing speaking. I think maybe Rosetta Stone might have, although I can't recall uh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, there's, there's a fair few of them that do do this. And, and it's good to see the waveform, like, because you can see when the native speaker is pushing out air because the waveforms fatten up a bit and, you know, when they're drawing in air. You, so you can watch it and you should sort of visually see what they're saying. Now in Audacity, now I don't use Audacity uh, for this because I'm lazy and all I'm doing is just repeating it and then trying to say it at the same time. So I've got headsets on and what I've got is I've, I got my headsets on just one ear <laughs> and the other one I'm speaking and I'm trying to chorus along at the exact same time so that what I'm saying sounds exactly right. So I need to hear myself speak and then I also need to hear the native speaker in the other ear. So this is what I'm trying to do and I've just got it on repeat. Now with Audacity, as you say, you can take that clip, you can see the native waveform and then you can press the record button and you can actually see how closely you match. Mm-hmm. And that that's part of the technique that the professor is showing, you know, in his, and there's a, he's getting a web free PDF, which we can put a link in the down in the notes, but um, you know, it explains how to do it with audacity, free software. It shows you how to do it, how to do the comparisons and all that. Um, but like I say, the workbook audio, it just, it's just easier for me because I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, well, that, that, no, that's great. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll look into that. I'll see, uh, See what I can find out by using that, and see if that'll help me. Um, there, there is one other software tool that is more for. It, it's a little more technical. It's called Prat, P R A A T, uh, which I believe is uh, Dutch for chatter, and it's a it's a tool sim- similar to Audacity. But what it does is it you, know, you can take a little segment of audio, you can see the waveform, but then it will also give what's called a spectrogram, and it will show where things go from making sounds to being uh, voiceless, which means like there's like your vocal cords aren't vibrating. Um, so like S, like S, that's voiceless, but Z has voiced quality. Uh, it will show that. It will show what are called formants, which are kind of like harmonics and, and tones. And it, it, it's great for linguists because then you can find out where uh, certain certain sounds are, are happening and you can kind of break words into component sounds. So it's a little more on the technical side, but it will include that but it also shows uh shows pitch that's also great for for taking a sound file 
and just seeing what's going on there and, and having a visual representation of it. So I highly recommend Prot. It's a free download like Audacity and it's, it's kind of fun. So if you are more on the technical side or if you're really into the technical aspect of pronunciation or as, as my hero Popeye says, pronunciation, um, then then these are these are tools for you. But of course, by, by no means are you required to do any of this in order to um, improve your pronunciation, but uh, they may be helpful down the line. So that, that all reminded me of something that I wanted to talk to you about. And I realized this could be a two or three podcast subject. Um, oh, geez. Talk about IPA because, and I, you know, things like when I read phrases, because I'm reading these things to help me with my pronunciation, but I'm not a linguist. And so when I read things like dental fricative. Hey, 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 keep it clean. It's a family show. Hey. Dental fricative. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, what? <laughs> but then, then you say IPA, and then in theory, it teaches you how to pronounce things correctly. Well, not in theory, it does, but but I don't understand it. So I don't suppose you just give us a brief overview of IPA for those of us, you know, the four dummies version for like me, because although I've encountered it a lot and I know it's in the dictionary, like when you even in English dictionaries, you look, you know, the pronunciation guideline is IPA. What's that all about anyway? Well, Rick, yeah, I, I, I have to agree. And um, that's 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 great. So thanks, everyone. Have a good night. Hey. hey. Okay, Rick and audience members, the IPA stands for the International Phonetic Alphabet. Now what this is, is a collection of symbols that are used to represent sounds of pretty much every language. Now you may find a chart that only has the sounds represented for a specific language, or you may see the entire chart for the International Phonetic Alphabet, which we'll be linking in the show notes. Now there are two benefits of having this uh, IPA chart. The first one is that if you see a symbol represented by the IPA, this stands for a sound that is always going to sound the same. So anytime you see, say, a long skinny S sound, that will always be SH, as in sheep or shirt or shamrock. So when you're reading a phonetic transcription of a foreign language, or if you're flipping through an American English dictionary or any other dictionary, and it uses the IPA to indicate pronunciation, you can be sure that the sound will be sh. Other symbols in the chart may look familiar, like D for duh, T for tuh, M for mm, and so on. However, there are a few symbols that do not indicate the sound you might think. For example, if you see the letter R, this is actually what is called an alveolar trill. It's where you roll your tongue in Spanish. An American English R is actually represented by the symbol that looks like an upside-down R. Another example is the letter X, which is actually a velar fricative, and that is pronounced similar to like uh, German Bach, uh, Scottish Loch, and so on. So the benefit is that once you have these sounds down, once you see them spelled out, you can uh, pronounce a word fairly reliably. Now the second benefit of the IPA is that, so if you look at the consonant portion, you'll see the top row, which is parts of the mouth, uh, bilabial, labiodental, dental, and so on. And then the column on the far left shows you what type of sound it is. Uh, plosive means a stop. Fricative means that there's some friction there, uh, but air is still coming through. Uh, nasal means it, it comes through your nose, and so on. So now while the IPA chart uh, might, might seem a little overly technical, once you learn these terms, and once you can relate them to what's going on with your mouth, you're able to form these sounds. Or at least you have a better idea of how to form them. 
the vowel chart, that's part of the IPA, also shows where in your mouth the tongue is at its highest point and where the resonance is. So for example, when you see the letter E, which is represented by the print letter I, uh, that is pronounced E, and that is happening at the front of your mouth and your tongue is higher up than if you were, say, saying the letter A, like cat or bad, which is represented by an AE combined where your tongue is a little bit lower, but it's still being pronounced at the front of the mouth. Now, there are advanced sections of the chart that show aspiration of air or, or an implosive. Like they'll say the letter G, but when you're pretending to drink something like and air is coming inside. There are indications for voicelessness, palatalized, nasalized, and there are even symbols that indicate certain click sounds that you might find in African or even Australian languages. Now, I will say that even though it's fairly consistent, there will be some variation from language to language. So a T sound may sound slightly different between two languages simply because overall the tongue might be placed in a slightly different part of the mouth and the distinction might not even be detectable. I believe in Russian, the F sound that you might find in the word funny and the sound at the beginning of the word thin are indistinguishable. However, just because you can't hear the difference doesn't mean that there is not one. Now again, it can be a little overly technical, but if you have any questions, feel free to send us a note or leave a comment, and we will do our best to answer it as clearly as possible. Now let's go back to the podcast and hear Dave's lousy explanation of sounds. So a plosive, it just means that air stops coming out of your mouth for a second. Right. And you do this with uh, letters like uh, P, where your lips actually close and stop air from flowing, even if only for a microsecond. So P or T, and then air will come rushing out after after the stop. Uh, fricative, like you said, it's kind of like that, but air doesn't stop coming out of your mouth. It's it's impeded. So like if you say Frank or food, you have your lips and your teeth uh, touching each other, but air is coming out in a very hissy manner. Nice. You also get this with like S or Z. Um, you get a little buzzing. You get a sh- sherbet or cheese, things like that. Nice. Nasals are where M, or, uh, where air is coming out of your nose. So if you say M, you're, you're closing your lips, no air is coming out of your mouth, but instead it's coming out of your nose. Nice. And so, so there are all these different different ways of treating the air that's coming out of your lungs. And so if you look at the, the horizontal column, you'll see things like bilabial and dental and uh, retroflex. Ooh, sexy. Nice. Or velar or glottal. And all these are uh, basically where in your mouth these things are happening. So for bilabial, you know, I mentioned P. That's because you're, you're bilabial, it literally means two lips. So you have P. Your two lips are closing. To sum up, the consonant chart just kind of shows you what's going on in your mouth and where these sounds uh, are being made. Nice. And if you don't really know, if you see like a German V or a Spanish F or a French R, you'll look at that and you'll think, oh, it's just like a an English you know, F or V or R. Nice. And really it helps to know how these languages make their sounds. So like a German, or a, excuse me, well actually a German or a French R are a little more back of the throat. In English you have an R that is sort of um, middle of the mouth, that's sort of halfway between throat and lips. But with German or French, you actually have something a little little back, like, a, like German radio. 
this is really uh, repetitive, and I'm doing a bad job of it because my pronunciation is not all that great. But yeah, so, and I think a lot of uh, basic language books don't really tell you where to make these sounds. You might have to find a more linguistically slanted grammar and pronunciation book to tell you where these sounds are being made. Uh, And they may say, oh, it's a dental fricative, like you said, which would be, let's see, well, dental means teeth, right? Yeah. Generally tongue and teeth. And then a fricative is just, again, where there's friction, but there's still air going through. So that would be, let's see, touch your tongue to your teeth and let let some air go through. But do it, do it. No. Actually, actually put your tongue between your teeth, and then and then. Well, close, close. Actually, that is basically. What? Fa fa fa. Fa fa fa. Not the best thing for a podcast. Fa fa fa. But anyway, so so there there are complex names for this this sort of thing, uh, and then there are also uh, just regular letters, and I would recommend. Probably there is a good book called The Handbook of the International Phonetic Association. It's a little pricey, but it kind of goes through descriptions of the IPA chart. And it also um, talks about certain languages. So it has American English, Bulgarian, Cantonese, French, Irish, Swedish, and a number of other languages. And kind of shows you where in your mouth you need to make these sounds to sound like a native speaker. There is a less technical book that I had seen a long time ago. And it is called, let me pull it up here. Accents, colon, a manual for actors, revised and expanded edition. And it actually uh, is a little more, uh, in layman's terms, uh, discussing... It is a little more um, user-friendly. It's more, yeah, it's more user-friendly. The explanations are um, m- more clearly understood by the non-linguist and the non-technical person and kind of shows, okay, where in your mouth do you make these sounds? And it really, really uh, I think the, the best way to deal with pronunciation of, of individual letters uh, is to just kind of practice things with your mouth. Put your tongue in different places. Um, you know, I'd mentioned retroflex before, and that is where you take your tongue and you, you basically curl it back and touch the roof of your mouth with it. So and you, you could say, uh, today, today we are talking about donuts. But you'll, you will hear this, uh, retroflex is spoken by um, Hindi speakers. Um, you will often hear people uh, using this technique to imitate Hindi speakers. So, uh, but really, you just have to kind of put your tongue and your lips in different places than you normally would. That sounded perverse. <laughs> It's just some things just don't go there. No, no, exactly. But uh, yeah, yeah. And so um, like Arabic has uh, back of the throat things, velar things, uh, like a K sound, but even further back. And and we, we do this, native English speakers do this all the time, where we will we will use different letters, even though we think we're using the same one. So like if you say, say cup, coop, cap, and keep, and you think it's all the same k sound, but really, if you pay attention to what's going on in the back of your throat, you will find that your your throat is, is making that k sound in slightly different places. Try it. Try it, Rick. Say cap, coop, keep, cop. Cap, coop, keep, cop. Yeah, I suppose it does. It's a bit different. Yeah. A little bit, slight, yeah. Slight. Yeah, and that has to do with, with where the, the vowels are, are happening. Again, in the IPA chart, you'll see a vowel chart, and that is basically where the sound is being made in your mouth. And so, like, ooh is actually back of the mouth, and e is uh, front of the mouth. So let me just interrupt you there slightly, because we don't have a lot of time left. Okay, yeah, but yeah. I did, wanna, I did want to get in one last question, which okay. is diphthong. Now, I, I thought this was something you took to a swimming pool. 
but apparently not. It's a language thing. Uh, uh, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. It is a swimming pool uh, thing, and um, and thank you very much. Good night. <laughs> so, what is your what is your question, sir? Well, what is it? What is it? What is a diphthong? Okay, a diphthong is uh, it's basically it's a it's a vowel sound that is created by uh, making two vowels but using it in the in one syllable. And uh, American English uses a lot of diphthongs. In fact, most of our vowels are not pure single vowels, but uh, double vowels, but but glided into one. So, like hood. For hood, example. hood, hood is okay. Hood is 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 one vowel. Say, it's got, two, it's got two O's. Well, but 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 the thing about uh, phonetics and sounds and vowel sounds and consonant sounds is that you cannot rely on the spelling because Engl- right. English spelling is is very misleading and it does not truly represent the sounds that are being spoken. Now, for example, let's say ride R I D E. Now that yeah. that is. Um, it represented by a single single vowel i but yeah. really really what it is is um it's two it's two sounds it's i i e two pure sounds i e but it's yeah. it's glided together so uh seamlessly and so so smoothly and quickly that it sounds like like one syllable but it's actually two vowels crammed into one syllable we don't have a we don't we don't have one vowel that we can we can use for i you think it's oh long i it's one 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 letter one sound but uh, it's two uh, it's an a ah and an e and that makes your i right yeah and if you, and if you were to take uh, if you were to record yourself and look at uh, look at this at prot you would see where there are actual two vowel sounds that uh, glide together and they're very very short they're next to each other they take but a... prot is that spectrograph thing you were talking about earlier yeah prot prot is the one where you can actually break it down into a spectrogram when you look at the waveform and it's it's a uh, it's, it's a way of looking at the waveform under a microscope cool interesting yeah, yeah. but listen I know we're gonna be short of time and I and I did fear that this would run you could run into about a thousand episodes worth of um, just ipa and sounds and things yeah don't worry, don't worry we'll we'll edit this down into a, a two-minute piece it'll be it'll be easy yeah don't, <laughs> don't, don't sorry rick don't ask that question oh, okay <laughs> um yeah no okay so in my, it is a good topic for discussion and I, and I do find it interesting and i hopefully our listeners find it interesting as well to sort of get into a bit more of the technical aspects of what you actually do, you know, as a, as a linguist, mm-hmm. um, even, you know, even us sort of hobbyists um, can learn from, from the work that's being done. So anyway, I'll let you know, I'll let you go and uh, hopefully we'll uh, get our pronunciation fixed both in English and in others languages. Sounds Groot. Sounds amazingly Groot. Yep. Uh, I'm, yep. I'm working on it. I'm going for a rod. <laughs> nice diphthong. Ooh, ooh. Ooh. I'll see. I'll see you at the beach. All right. Talk to you later, Dave. All right, Cheers. later, Rick. Have a good one. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. You've just subjected yourself to the Lollygagging Podcast with Rick Dearman and Dave Prine. If you enjoyed any or all or none of this podcast, please show some love. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave a comment. Share with a friend. Send us a nasty email. Download the podcast for later. Tell people you dated us in high school and regret breaking up with us. Don't sue us. And if nothing else, enjoy learning languages. Oh, were you making a joke there? Or I, did you not? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs>